at SifPop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop editor, Robert. Wow. That's your quote for this week? <laughs> yeah, it's the best I could come up with. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Sif Pop Weekly co-host, Andrew Ormsby. Ahoy! Woo! Welcome, Andrew. Hi. Welcome, Robert, too. Not trying Thank to... You. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we do, we do Sif Pop stuff. Uh, make sure to check out Sif Pop website, Sif Pop Weekly, all that good stuff, all the, all the family branding stuff. Uh, and uh, and keep up with all the stuff going on there. Uh, but on the podcast today, uh, we're going to talk about a couple movies. We're going to talk about uh, like previewing some that are coming out. We're going to talk about one that's maybe considered the greatest of all time. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about film scores. And I picked this because Foster suggested that we talk about it. And honestly, like this score was great. And I was like, you know what? That's fitting. Like that was the first. We'll we'll get to the Great Escape. But at least at the very the very first thing I noticed was like, oh, this score is really good. So, um, which is we'll talk about it. Which is not often for me. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Robert's already already starting off on, on an spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. There you go. Uh, but uh, and then of course when we're done talking about that, we'll wrap up with the spinoff. Uh, but first, let's get a chance to know our writers this week, guys. You, uh, I wanted to ask this question because I figured like Andrew is Sif Pop Weekly every week, at least most weeks, and Robert yeah. comes on here <laughs> once a, once a month. So I feel like. I feel like we constantly have things to talk about, but like, I just want to like ask like, how's life? What's going on? What's good? Um, you know, what's, what's some things that you're looking forward to or some things that you are not looking forward to? Uh, who first I'll go. Okay. Go <laughs> life is good, man. Life is real good. I just, uh, just been watching movies every single week. <laughs> it seems like, uh, uh, whenever Aaron and I, other Aaron started doing this, you know, it seemed like, yes, there was a movie every single week, but now it seems like with streaming services, like there's an overabundance now of content, which is good. You know, more content is good. Yeah. Except it doesn't mean that all content is good content, but. <laughs> well, and it's, it's two movies a week, but then also yeah. like, you know, like I'm sure, you know, we're recording this after House of the Dragon aired, like at, at yeah. least, like at, le- at least probably all three of us are checking that out. I haven't seen it yet, but like mm. I don't know. I don't know about Robert. I, I will. I also just haven't gotten to it yet. It's been yeah, not yeah. even twenty four hours. Right, but like you know, you got that. I mean, of course, Rings of Power. We'll we'll all be watching that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's the uh, what's what's the other like big one coming out, right? Well, She Hulk is going on right now. She Hulk, uh, right? Uh, Sandman has just wrapped up its first season. I know what you mean. There's something else coming that's supposed <laughs> yeah, to be. Like, what is that? What is that one like really big property thing coming out? Like, <laughs> it's I think a that t- was all three. There was three big ones at once: Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, and Marvel. No, I thought you know. I thought there was another one besides Marvel. Oh, maybe I'm thinking, you know, with Cassian Andor coming out. Oh, that that, I mean, that's oh a, yeah, that's an 18 Andor. episode one. So maybe that one's a. Uh, oh well, I don't know. But either way, like, yeah, there's. Like tons of stuff coming out, like and, yeah, you know, especially on the TV side of things. So, man, I I do not envy you, Andrew. I struggle like I didn't struggle this week, but I was like most weeks it would be difficult for me to fit in a movie like The Great Escape. So, but this week I somehow find the time to fit in this and the Fellowship of the Ring extended cut. So, uh, I don't know. I guess that means it was a not busy week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily I'd seen everything 
prior. So I'm like, oh, good. I don't have yeah. to overextend myself. So what about you, Robert? What's good? I'm actually on the upswing starting today because uh, about a week ago, I was diagnosed with strep throat and COVID on the same day. Mm. Um, so I've had a rough go of it for like the last week and a half. Man. Finally been fever free for a few days. Can finally talk again without, you know, coughing all over the place <laughs> after 10 <laughs> words. Um, but yeah, today I was able to snag uh, some of those free tickets to seeing Rings of Power in theaters uh, oh, a couple days early. Yeah, on the 31st, they're doing special screenings at Cinemarks. So uh, I, I snagged a couple of those. I think, I think there's a Cinemark like an hour away, but that's it. Yeah, that's I'm an hour away, but I'm going. <laughs> if, <laughs> it's look, worth it, man. You know? Yeah. If I, if I was confident that I would have the Lord of the Rings trilogy done before the show premiered, Especially you're saying this is a couple days early. Like, I just, I'm just not confident that I'll do that, let alone have the time off from work and all that. Like, it's just, man. Anyway. <laughs> I, that, I mean, that's like the perfect encapsulation of like how life is going for me. I'm just like, I feel like I'm working all the time, but like I'm working less than my last job. But it's just weird because like I'm working like the prime hours of the day. Like I won't work before like 11 a.m. and I won't work after like 10 or 11 p.m. And it's like, I'm still up for a couple hours around that time, but like, that's that's wake up and shower and and you know and then like put on letter kenny for a couple hours of the rest of the night like that's 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 what those are for oh if we're gonna be talking about goats we gotta talk about letter (laughs) kenny i just finished the episode um like i'm I'm right past the first of all i only started the show like a week and a half ago but i I just finished Mm. the episode um oh wayne's uh wayne's about to propose um, so I think that was a season finale. Oh, I don't know okay. it, so don't I don't know what happens after sure. that. <laughs> I got yeah. I got a feeling it's not going to work out, but, uh, but yeah, like the Hick, the Hicks helped the Dicks, and uh, um, there was Have the, you seen there was the party. Canada Gooses yet? Canada Gooses, I've seen that one. That's yep. the funniest episode there is. The Spelling Bee. Uh, oh God. that was recently. So yeah, and I, then you uh, got to watch Shorzy when you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do got to get to it. I love Shorzy. It's good. I'll get around to it. I, I'm, I'm really breezing through Letterkenny. So anyway, um, yeah. So like, I don't know. It's just like, it just feels like I'm so busy, but like there's, you know, and I don't really have many shifts off right now, which is good because like I'm making money, but you know, there's, sometimes it's nice to have some time off, you know? Oh yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, I got one random question before you, before you guys, before we move on, pulled up on the generator and this was the first one that came up and I was like, you know what? Let's go for it. Let's say, let's say somebody drops off a kitten at your doorstep right now. What are you naming that cat? Oh, I'll give it the name of whatever the nearest shelter is. <laughs> Cause cats don't like me and I'm not going to deal with it. Plus my dogs would turn it into a pinata. <laughs> Okay, I'll I'll play along. Let's go with uh, Hobbs. Just an easy one. Yeah, there you go. I like it. Calvin and Hobbs. Is there, uh, is there a color? Because depending it, on the color, it could be one name or several for me. Is it is it bad that you said Hobbs and my first thought was Fast and Furious, not Calvin and Hobbs? It's how old are you, Aaron? Twenty <laughs> seven. Yeah. So you uh, you may have missed like the original run of Calvin and Hobbs and stuff. I think so I did. Yeah. I think it was right before. Me. It's a generational thing. Sure. Uh, I don't know, Robert. Pick a color. <laughs> if it's if it's like a brown or orange looking cat, I've I've been wanting to go with Bilbo. So uh, I, I got go. I, I got like mixed. That. I like um, that a lot. I got it. We have a gray cat and I got vetoed with calling it Gandalf the Gray. <laughs> but um, 
I, if I get like a brown brown looking cat, it's gonna be Bilbo. If you get another gray cat, um, just just tell Laura that you have one vote from me to name it. <laughs> okay. So me and you both outvote her. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll do. Yeah, I was thinking like. Look, I'm all for like pet names that are nonsensical or pet names that are like you would never name a human that like, you know, my my dog is Cheddar. And like that's it's, at least the dog I named is Cheddar. My wife named the other dog because I named the first one that was around before she was. So like I'm all for like silly pet names, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. I, was t- my two- <laughs> I, I, I keep telling my wife that I want to name uh, I want to name the next dog. like I get to name the next dog and then she gets to name the next dog and all that. Um like I want, I keep telling her that I'm gonna name it Fishy, just so I can like constantly <laughs> scream at it, like Fishy, Fishy, why are you sleeping? Um, and that cat, that dog would hate me, but um, uh, I, I think for a cat, I think Mittens is like a really good cat name, like silly, yeah, yeah. fitting, yeah, like regardless of color, you know. I, I imagine yeah. an orange cat for a Mittens, but you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, my two dogs' names are Captain Waffles. And Rocky Four. <laughs> I like it. That's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's so perfect. There you go. There's a, if you ever wanted to know what Andrew would name a kitten. Uh, yeah. Now you do know. So <laughs> uh, great. Well, you ready to talk about a couple movies? I guess. <laughs> Guys, this is um, this is really interesting because I'm like unintentionally becoming zero frames movement because like I have no idea anything about these three movies. I know I know that 3000 Years of Long is the new George Miller movie and like that's it. So like I just like I'm not mm. intentionally doing it. I just like I'm not anyway. So I'll just figure it out as we go on the spot. Uh, You're just got to prep. Yeah, that too. Um, Robert, what do you want to yeah. <laughs> what do you want to start with? Uh, going by the old it's the first in my notes. I have Samaritan first. All right, Samaritan. Uh, all right, this is a uh, young boy learns that a superhero who was thought to have gone missing after an epic battle 20 years ago may in still fact be around. This is looks like a Prime video uh, coming August 26th. So yeah, just in a couple days. Um, my guess would be that's Prime exclusive, not not in theaters as well. Uh, I'm looking at the cast list here. This is starring uh, Sylvester Stallone. Looks like uh, Moises Arias from uh, the Hannah Montana TV show is in this. Um, and he was in Kings of Summer, which is like a really nice coming of age film. Uh, and then, uh, gosh, I, uh, Dasha, Dasha uh, Polanco. Uh, she played the pregnant girl in Orange is the New Black. Yeah, she was really good in Orange is the New Black. Yeah, she was for sure a standout. Um, that's the only two people I recognize from the cast. Uh, Julius Avery directing. Don't recognize Martin Starr. Oh, Martin Starr. Yeah. Who's he? Oh, he's just not. Oh, there he is. All right. Yep. Martin Starr. I was like, was he in the trailer? And he's just not on this like top billing for, you know, the IMDb oh, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's kind of hidden. He is kind of hidden. I like my, I like me some Martin Starr. Uh, Robert, since you picked it, Andrew, we're going to start with you. Uh, your, what's your anticipation level for this movie? We're going to take the free will out of, or we're going to take everything out of this equation except for free will. So schedule budgets, the fact that this is going to prime instead of theaters, all that is, is out the door. If this were a theatrical exclusive, you have all the time in the world, all the money in the world, all that st- good stuff. 
how soon do you think that you'd be checking out uh, this movie? Would you go to the theaters to see it? Would you wait till you could just rent it at home? Would you wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for? Are you just not interested in seeing Samaritan? I like Sly. So I think that there's a possibility that I would see it. Uh, Would I see it week one? Probably not. But if word of mouth got around that it's actually really good, then I would definitely check it out sooner rather than later. But I could see it being one that I would go and see in theaters regardless of, you know, Sif Pop or anything like that. Sure. What about you, Robert? I'm <clears throat> I'm unfortunately not interested in seeing. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll just go kind of in the middle of this. Maybe like a streaming. Nothing about like what I said earlier, like really gets me amped. Because I mean, like, look, I like me some Sly too. But like for every you know, movie I really, every movie you really like from him, there's an equally terrible one, you know, for every. Like I, I oh, like yeah. the Expendables franchise. So like for every Expendables, there's like an escape plan three, you know? Yeah. Um, like he, he's not necessarily like consistent. I mean, he's working and good for him, but like, is he the uh, new Bruce Willis? Like, no. Will well, he Bruce be Willis soon, retired? So, right. But I mean, like, <laughs> but I mean like that guy that's in like four or five action movies a year that you're like, Oh, like this looks like it was made for pretty much only Bruce Willis's salary. Like, is that, is that going to be sly here in, five years no no sly's a way smarter than a uh, bruce willis like you gotta remember uh he's a writer sly, too. Is, sly is not only a really good actor but he's a good writer like he's he's very well ranged like rocky first blood i mean sly has got some re- he's got some That's acting true. chops on him well and even if things don't work out in the you know in the like whatever division you can always just make another it return of Rocky or another return of Rambo and it'll make a bunch of money, you know, like, yeah, he's not hurting for money. So that's the one thing I I, I think Sly is good about is like, he's not desperate for a paycheck, you know? So he only does movies whenever he thinks that like, if you think about it, the last movie he did before this one was, uh, I think Creed two or, uh, I mean, uh, suicide squad, uh, yeah, which was yeah. once a year. He's like doing one movie a year, I think. Okay, one or two, it looks like. Well, he's in post production on three, and you know, uh, yeah, it looks like Su- the Suicide Squad and then Rambo. Yeah, before that, yeah, Escape Plan three. <laughs> you know what? I saw the first Escape Plan, and it wasn't as bad as everybody. Makes no, the it first one's three. fine. It's yeah. it is what it is, but yeah. I'm not gonna watch the sequels. Um, no, God, no. Yeah, uh, I so. I guess go back to the Samaritan. I'm going to land, like I said, in streaming service. I think the, the honestly, the biggest pull for me is after looking at the director's credit, uh, Julius Avery did a movie in 2018 called Overlord that I really liked. Overlord yeah. was good. Yeah. Oh, nice. I didn't yeah, expect Overlord... that to be a movie you liked, Robert. Yeah, yeah I saw it once and thought it was solid. Fresh and unique. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was like kind of advertised as, you know, the Call of Duty Nazi Zombies, the movie, but like it, yeah. it wasn't that like it was. It actually had a plot to it. I thought it was directed really, really well, and beautiful you know, cast was having fun. Too, yeah, so. I liked Overlord. So that's that's probably the biggest pull for me. But I don't know. It's yet another superhero movie, and if I'm not, if I'm already not excited for the Marvel stuff coming out, I'm sure as heck not going to be excited about Samaritan. You know? Yeah. The trailer for this was edited and cut exactly like every other superhero movie i've ever seen (laughs) um and i was like this doesn't look like it's offering anything fresh it has the exact beats and everything like that um and i get what you're saying about the stallone thing and it's just not a big enough draw for me to see a random superhero movie when i saw the trailer for this it reminded me of uh hancock 
is what it was. That's an interesting comparison, yeah. Yeah, which it, it it's the closest thing I could compare it to, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an old superhero. He's just like, I'm done with that life. Uh, I don't want to get back into it sort of a thing. But then circumstances in life happen, and, you know. My thought reading the synopsis was almost uh, my, my my first thought was the uh, the Gray Ghost episode of Batman the Animated Series. Oh yeah, that was a good episode. That's a great episode. That was a really good episode. Um, all right, well that's our thoughts on Samaritan, Andrew. Since uh, Robert picked Samaritan, do you wanna do you wanna go to me time or do you or do you, and save the best for last or the biggest for last or do you want to get three thousand years out of the long end out of the way? Uh, I, it's up to you. I mean. Uh, 3,000 Years of Longing is one I'm really excited for. Spoiler. Well, let's get to it then. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll sandwich it in the middle of these movies. Uh, this is will be the biggest movie coming out uh, this week. Uh, let's see. Uh, obviously, George Miller directing it. This is the first movie he's done since Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, a lonely scholar on the trip to Istanbul, Bull discover, Istanbul discovers a uh, djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Uh, let's see. Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba. Oh, wow. I thought there was more than that. Am I missing? Are, are they not enough for you? No, I mean, like, it's, I just thought the new George Miller movie, like, yeah. you know, especially after following up after Mad Max Fury Road, like, probably a line out the door three blocks around, like, to get into that movie. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, it, I wonder if it, am I supposed to recognize any of this, other, any of these other people? No. Pia Thunderbolt? Is... Like, that sounds like a pro wrestler. <laughs> Thunderbolt Ross. No, it's pretty much just those two. Okay. It's like if you're looking at big stars, and yeah, it's just them. Okay. Well, uh, Andrew, since you picked it, uh, Robert, we'll start with you. Uh, where do you fall on the anticipation level? Uh, I know you've taken off matinee, but that's kind of where I am, where it's like I'm in theaters, but low side of theaters. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I'm at theaters at all because of those three names of Swinton, Elba, and Miller. Otherwise, to me, it kind of looks like a, like a Jupiter Ascending type. Oh, that's um, rough. Which... Doesn't scream greatness, but I, I like swings like this. So sure. there's always a chance, especially from filmmakers like George Miller. Sure. Uh, Andrew, where are you at? Land. Uh, I could see myself seeing this either the first week in theaters or like the, the following week in theaters with no like a like you said, with no outside. No, like you have to yeah. for Sif Pop or yeah. things like that. Because mainly besides Tilda Swinton and Idris, it's it's all about George Miller for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's my biggest pull. Because guys, he's you want to talk about some of the goats? And yeah, he he doesn't make a movie all that often, but when he does, he he doesn't hold back. That's fair. Um, I guess I'm gonna go ahead and just go go ahead and say rent on this. I mean, I'm really excited because sure, like. George Miller is a great director. Um, he doesn't make a ton of movies, but what he makes is is typically pretty good. Um, Idris Elba's, Elba's pretty consistently great. Um, Tilda Swinton also pretty consistently really good. Um, I, I don't like know. Quietly one of the best actors of the last however many years. Yeah, I. Th- it's interesting because uh, what's her best role? She shows up. I don't. I couldn't say. Her like, best of what, my head. is the best movie she's in, or the what, best performance she's ever given? What movie do you like her most in? I I think it's um uh Burn After Reading. Oh, she's good in Burn After Reading. Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. She plays Clooney's wife. Yeah, Clooney's wife that's having the affair oh, with. That's right. Somebody else. Because whenever I think of Burn After Reading, she uh, I think of uh uh. uh Francis McDormand. Francis, Francis McDormand, McDormand right. yeah. That's the first. <clears throat> no, for uh, like the best, either 
performance she's given. I like her in Snowpiercer. Yeah. But I really like her portrayal of Gabriel in Constantine. Yeah, she's having a lot of fun in Constantine. Yeah. I like her in uh, Okja a lot. I think she's great in Oak. Like, she's great at hamming it up. Um, yeah. The two souvenir movies, I don't know if you guys have seen those, but she's also really, really good in those. It's more understated, but like, that's part of what I love about her is that she's completely different in everything. Like, she can go from being the witch from Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe to being just like a, a nice 60 something mother to a film student in the souvenir and, and be perfectly believable in each one. Yeah. Look at her IMDb. You're totally right. She's like one of the, like she's in a ton of like great projects that she's just like kind of going under the radar. I think it's because she's very rarely leading the projects. Like even in Burn After Reading, she's like a tertiary character, but like she's in Uncut Gems, but as a voice of Adley auction manager. (laughs) Yeah. She was in The Dead Don't Die, but like, yeah. Um, I do really like it whenever she teams up with a Wes Anderson because mm-hmm. I think yeah. she is just like creme de la creme what he does in his movies like his super dry symmetrical movies well and similar similarly Hail Caesar like yeah with the, the Coen brothers. brothers right there absolutely yeah and Moonrise Kingdom she's in yeah that's one of the Wes Anderson ones the other one being Isle of Dogs Curious Case of Benjamin Button. It's been a while since I've seen that. But yeah, she's the White Witch. She's Michael Clayton. Yeah, I think it's just she's not like necessarily the leading person. Yeah, I think if people don't know who we're talking about, if we were to say she's the ancient one in the Marvel movies, people go, oh, her, you know, so. Yeah, she's in uh, Adaptation, too. She's really good in Adaptation. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I think I think those three are enough to pull me somewhere. But I don't know. It's. As, as if George Miller's doing this, that means he's not doing that Furiosa movie. And I know that like it's the, filming right filming now. It right now, but it's like I'd rather have the Furiosa movie. Like that's what I, I mean. Do. By it. Like, I know, I know it's not, it, it's not he's doing this, so he's not doing that. But it's like it's like he he tried so hard to get was it Universal that has those movies? Like he tr- tried so hard to get them to greenlight it, and it's, you know I think he started this project, and they're like, all right, fine, do Furiosa. It's like. I'm I'm very interested in whatever Mad Max stuff George Miller has for the future, but like this, yeah, this feels kind of like a holdover that again, having not seen the trailer, like I would be fine skipping, yeah. but I'll, I'll still go see. I think because uh, Mad Max is a proven property, people feel more easy spending their money on something that they know as opposed to something new and uh, possibly, you know, garbage fire. But I'm stoked for it. the trailers, obviously, that I've seen. The visuals look stunning. That's going to be mm-hmm. another huge pull for me. So, yeah. Sure. I'm, I am excited for this one. Yeah, I don't it's, know if it's a holdover either because, like we've been saying, he doesn't make... Like, if it was Ridley Scott true. and it's like that's he wants true, to do fair. this and he's just going to do this in the meantime. But, like, yeah, he never makes movies, so he probably has that's some a sort point. of passion about it. That's a fair point. Yeah, I just... I don't, yeah, and, and again, uh, George Miller is one of those directors that I, I said this about um, the guy that did Bullet Train. Like he he has earned a, for me to buy a ticket. Like Fury Road alone has earned my movie ticket to whatever he makes next. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Because um, I I did see Fury Road in theaters, and yeah, it's great. Um, I was just like, did I? Well, Fury Fury Road is one of the greatest movies ever made. That's fair. That's fair. We'll talk about that next week, actually. I have a couple of guests on to talk about that. Uh, all right. That means we just have to get to me time. Uh, this is a new Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg movie. 
um, coming to Netflix this week, August 26th. So this follows a dad who finds time for himself for the first time in years while his wife and kids are away. He reconnects with a friend for a wild weekend. Uh, this is written and directed by John Hamburg, as mentioned, starring Mark Wahlberg and Kevin Hart. Um, Regina Hall also in there. Uh, Andrew Santino. Jimmy O. Yang uh, from um, uh, Silicon Valley. Um yeah, like a, a good amount of like people in here that I would describe a lot of these like portraits that I'm seeing are people that where you're like, oh, like that guy. Like you see a face, you're like, oh, that person. But yeah, they're not like household names. Um, so uh, let's see. John Hamburg did I Love You, Man and Why Him and Along Came Polly and Little Fockers. So like, all right, that's a little bit of like what <laughs> kind of movie you could expect. Uh, <laughs> I'll kick us off. I'll say I'm just not interested in this movie. Um, I, I am so over Kevin Hart. Um, and honestly, I'm over this portion of Mark Wahlberg's career. Um, so that's, that's what I'll say about that. I'm just, I'm not interested in this one. Uh, Robert, what about you? Uh, yeah, basically that I think I love you, man. And along came Polly are good, but those, I love you, man. was 13 years ago now. And like you said, Kevin Hart is playing Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg is playing current period Mark Wahlberg. And I have no interest. (laughs) Andrew, you gonna buck the trend? Not really. Are we counting this like if it was in theaters, or are we still counting it like it's on Netflix? Yeah. No, like again, if this was a theater movie, you know, if it was in the theaters, I wouldn't see it. Since it's on Netflix, I might check it out. You know, like if there's if I'm bored, but I'm, there's probably I worse money ways to spend your time. Yeah, I wouldn't spend money in the theaters to see this. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I unlike you guys, I like this kind of part of Mark Wahlberg's career, the funny, okay. because I look I at other and guys and the other and guys. Yeah. And he, he, he has some pretty f- good comedic chops on him, but every single Kevin Hart movie with the exception of a couple seems the same. So there are yeah, some I, gems out there that do surprise me. Like the Jumanji movies were surprisingly sure. really good. Mm-hmm. Did not expect that. But for the most part, they're they're all uh, cut and dry, copy paste sort of thing. So I like yeah. Mark Wahlberg in Ted, and I like him in the other guys in that kind of role. And he's kind of playing that role in Pain and Gain and in Two Guns, and those are both like fine movies. Pain but and like, Gain's really good. But in, I I think he's really good in Pain. I think the actors are having a good time in Pain and Gain, but it's not a movie. See, I that's the thing. Enjoy. That's a movie that fits his. Like, yes. Yes. And. I don't and know. Like, and again, Two Guns is a pretty similar, like, fits yeah. fits his strengths. His thing, yeah. But, like, in the same year that he did Pain and Gain, he also came out with Lone Survivor, which is, like, one of my favorite movies of his. Like, just stick to doing that kind of stuff, man. Like, stay with Peter Berg. Keep on doing your Deepwater Horizon thing, you know? Um, yeah, whenever he teams up with Peter Berg, you know it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be a, a rough movie, but it's going to be a good one. But, like... You know, just like wait until like a, the right comedy director comes around. Like that's probably his his thing is he's probably, you know, he's got Adam McKay for the other guys. And he had Seth MacFarlane directed Ted. Yeah. 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 I knew he voiced him and wrote it. I just didn't know he also directed. So like, you know, if you have funny people directing him versus, you know, and I'm not trying to say that the guy, because I, because I really like I Love You Man. I haven't seen Along Came Polly, but you know, I really like I Love You Man. So it's just like, I don't know. I, you get, you get the funny people to direct Mark Wahlberg. Otherwise it's probably not going to work. And, Again, I'm, I'm so like Kevin Hart is just he's he's been put in too many things that he anno- he annoys me at this point. Right, you can't he, let him just riff because yes. then he just gets loud. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Um, yeah, and he plays pretty much the same person in every movie. Like he's I was actually I was actually surprised last year, a couple of years ago, he did a, another Netflix movie called Fatherhood, where he was surprisingly subdued, where he just like plays a dad of a young daughter after his wife dies and he just like has to make it through life. And I'm like, see, you can act, you can choose serious roles, but then he, well, it, and I think he, he does did, it usually. Um, the, the Intouchables remake, the, um, I don't yeah, know, the upside. Yeah. That yeah. one was, I didn't particularly like that one. I don't, I don't think a lot of people did, but like, is, is that more of a subdued voice that he did or su- I think performance? So. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But the like, I think that's two out of 50. Yeah. The entire time I'm watching it though, I'm like, Intouchables is so much better. Yeah. <laughs> I just, but it just feels like when they, when people cast Kevin Hart, they're not casting him for fatherhood role. I mean, maybe now, hopefully, right. but th- they're casting him because they want the same person from, you know, the cameos in like, uh, Hobbs and Shaw and whatnot. They, they want, want the, the Kevin Hart comedy from star. Central yeah. Intelligence, yeah. And they and they want him as a leading man because his movies make money. Yeah, I haven't contributed money to him as a leading man since. I mean, Jumanji, do you count Jumanji him a leading person? It's kind yeah, of an ensemble. Yeah, he's bit, he's yeah. part of a leading ensemble. But I really didn't like the third Jumanji movie, the next level one. That one was bad. Anyway, uh, so that's it. Uh, any other thoughts? Nope. Yeah. It's going to be a very forgettable movie. That's fair. Well, uh, before we get to moving on to talking about our SIF topic for the week, uh, you've gotten to hear a couple movie opinions as well as some other from our guys to get a chance to promote their stuff and see if you want to, to check them out other places. Robert, why don't you kick us off? Show Andrew how it's done. I'll just say go to Twitter at underscore Rob's thoughts if you want to see anything I do because that's where I put it all. And uh, I'll promote my letterbox. I don't normally do that, but that's just uh, Robert's thoughts on letterboxed. Whoop, whoop. Andrew, what about you? For people to hear more movie thoughts and other potentially other thoughts, where do you want to send people? Uh, check out the main uh, Pop show, the weekly show with me and Aaron Dicer. Uh, we come in with most most weeks. We come in with two fresh new movies in theaters, and we give our thoughts on them. Uh, it's been fun the last couple weeks. Uh, Aaron and I have well, not this past week, but Aaron and I have had some different opinions on films that have come out of theaters and that's made for some interesting uh, conversation and discourse. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope that everybody listening to this podcast is also listening to Sif Pop, but yeah, that's worth noting. There yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's uh, quick Patreon shout out, by the way, Patreon here, uh, Sif Pop, uh, patreon.com slash Sif Pop WR. Uh, you can support this show uh five ten or twenty dollars a month different tiers go check that out that'd be a lot of fun uh well, let's get to talking about it so once a month we talk about a movie that might be considered the greatest of all time and uh this month we have the great escape um if you've never seen this movie it's a 1963 movie if you you can check it out on hbo max if you'd like um and some reasons why it might be considered a goat um is uh let's see it has a 8.2 on IMDb, making it the 149th highest rated film of all time. It has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I forgot to look up the Letterboxd aggregate, but I'll do that while looking up some other stuff here. Isn't it just uh, average on Letterboxd, by the way? I don't know. I just is, is saying aggregate the incorrect thing? I think so. Aggregate is Rotten Tomatoes because they take scores from all over the place, but Letterboxd, you only put your score on Letterboxd, which makes oh, it I just, average. I thought because you have to import into Letterboxd. The Letterboxd score, <laughs> I'll change the way I say that, 4.0 out of 5. That's pretty good. That's um, pretty good. <laughs> very nice. Very uh, nice. <laughs> this was nominated for an Academy Award for Film Editing, nominated uh, for Golden Globe for Best Picture, nominated... This is interesting. Nominated Moscow International Film Festival. I like it's film festival, not Moscow 
International Film Awards because that would be interesting um, given the subject matter. Um, this was selected for the National Board Review Top 10 Films of the Year, and this was nominated by the Writers Guild of America for the Best Written American Drama. Um, and then this has 19th place in AFI's 100 Years, 100 Thrills. And uh, honestly, like, feels like there should be more. But I mean, this movie came out at a time. No, no, because like it was nominated for an Oscar. Like a lot of sometimes we review things that are like, well, this is before like the Academy Awards or this is before like they were really popular. Like feels like there's not as much as there should be, especially given its ratings all over the place. So anyway, um, that's just a few reasons why it might be considered the greatest of all time. This also had a Criterion release, uh, which again is how I watch this movie. I picked up the Blu-ray, one of the first Criterion sales. Um, so that's that's available there. Um, so yeah, synopsis for this movie is uh, allied prisoners of war, uh, allied prisoners of war plan for several hundred of their number to escape a German camp during world war two. Uh, also worth noting based off a true story. Uh, well, based off of a book, which is based off of a true story, which also, so I th- thought this was interesting. I was looking up. So apparently the book was released and the screenplay was written for this movie. While a lot of the, stuff that happened here was still classified so there's a lot of things that they apparently got like slightly wrong or mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that they didn't know about um because they weren't unclassified yet so i'd be very interested like i know there was a documentary released later but i think it's about the people like i want to know like what are the things that they discovered afterwards i think that would be fun um so anyway that's interesting yeah i thought that was interesting so um Yep. So based off a true story, uh, based off a book, based off of a true story. Um, uh, and I thought, I thought, you know what? Like, I'll ask Andrew to be a part of this uh, because you know Andrew is a big fan of older movies, specifically westerns. I have, I have a feeling he's you know got some pretty, pretty vivid thoughts on this one, and I figured, you know what, it'll be good for the conversation. So, um, Robert, we're gonna start with you. <laughs> the Great Escape. Do you like it? Love it? Hate it? Dislike it? Or think it's just okay? Oh boy, um, I think it's just okay. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. This is your first time seeing this, right? Yes, it's just it's my first time seeing it. All right, Same and... as always, as for the history, is that it's one of the million classics I hadn't seen, and I was excited to cross it off the watch list. Okay, this is my first time as well. Although I think I'd seen like the last like forty five minutes with my dad at one point, uh, like not that long ago, like while I was in college. So, um, and I mostly had been kept off from seeing it because this is a three-hour movie. I was going to say, um, uh, you saying that you've seen 45 minutes of it, most people will go, oh, yeah, you've seen a good portion. No, this is a three-hour movie, so. <laughs> well, I distinctly remember, like, and I didn't realize until it happened, but I distinctly, like, we, we are going to spoil this movie, but I think let's get through the ratings first before, like, I officially open the floodgates. But there was a specific, like, few big moments. I was like, oh, that's this movie, right. Um, so... Um, I'll go next. Um, I'm going to be on the low side of really love this movie. Um, go, low side of love it, I guess. <laughs> low side of really love is too many yeah. modifiers. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand the hype. I believe it. I was thoroughly um, captivated by this. Movie. Uh, Andrew, where are you going to land? Oh, obviously I'm going to land and loved it. Yeah. Uh, I figured, but I was, you know, I was like, maybe there's a chance, you know, he's like, I wanted to come and rag on this movie. Uh, sir, you're not going to get any. If this would have starred Clint Eastwood instead of Steve McQueen, best movie in the world. Oh, man, that would be a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do love Steve McQueen. I mean, it, and he's not the only, like, huge name in this movie. You got, like, James mm-hmm. Gardner and Richard Attenborough and Charles Bronson. I mean,. People who were, you know, huge, you know, what you would say, you know, the action stars of the day 
are in this movie. And the, the cool thing is it's not really an action movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. So having those big names and seeing them subdued. Also, is... like, Charles Bronson in, like, a very supporting role. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Donald Pleasance, too. Um, yes. Halloween. Yeah. This is right before Halloween, but yeah. Gotta love so that I guy. guess I guess, uh, you know, the return of Donald Pleasance on this podcast. So... <laughs> Uh, all right. So yeah. So again, here's your warning for spoilers. We're definitely going to talk about it, this movie in full. They all um, die. I, I feel like <laughs> not all of them. Uh, I feel like this is one of those. Um, gosh, I think I would. I, I think I would say like if you really haven't seen it, it is worth watching before listening here, just because it would completely kill all the suspense. Yeah. Uh, for for the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the movie is called The Great Escape. So if they did all die, it would just be the escape attempt. You know? <laughs> the great escape attempt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, where do we want to start? Uh, I already mentioned the score. Um, Robert, you're not a fan or were you just being facetious? No, I was actually starting to get a bit annoyed because it's like that same little melody over and over. Mm-hmm. Either, you know, it, it fits the tone of the situation, but that I, I finished it about two hours ago and it's still stuck in my head just that those few little few notes and it's uh starting to rag on me i thought it was kind of funny because i was scrolling through letterbox reviews afterwards and my main thought at the time was man this score is really annoying i can't get out of my head i opened (laughs) jake from sif pops review and he says the score makes me happy every time it comes on and i just threw my hands up and was like well okay now it's just one of the things like i first noticed because i i guess maybe i mostly noticed it because it's upbeat and kind of I don't want I don't really want to say happy but like if this the music by itself wouldn't would not n- invoke feelings of like sadness uh, I mean at least the main theme um, but like my only complaint with the score is it maybe feels a little too light for a movie with this subject matter especially given the ending like you know b- given that not everybody makes it out of here given that most most of them don't and most of them are actually captured and killed illegally like is it was later declared a war crime like um so like yeah that might be my only complaint is it doesn't fully fit the entirety of of the tone of the movie but but at least like especially at the start like it fits and during the motorcycle chase like it (sighs) is another highlight Uh, yeah yeah i think it fits like when um the blind guy is getting shot at the end like you hear the same Mm. few notes but it's like very sad and it turns it on its head my complaint is that it just gets stuck in your head but i otherwise i think it's really well done i i guess i, I guess i should walk back i would have said i think maybe that's in, indicative of the tone of the movie i guess i i would expect a movie with this kind of subject matter to be a little bit heavier in tone it, it's this is a relatively light movie all the way through except for the third act um which yeah is kind of like it's not heavy but it's not light but it's dealing with some heavy subject matter well, you got to remember, yes, I think the movie could be trimmed down, but uh, all that time before the end, you have to build up, you know, character development, stuff like that. So you care and you want these guys to escape apart from being, you know, they're in a Nazi prison camp. So you want them That's to true. get out, but you That's need true. you need a little bit more than that to fuel your this was this was a lot of fun for me too because like the the plot for this movie so the plot synopsis doesn't really give you a lot of it but like 
when when they reveal at the beginning, they're they're taking all the prisoners to their to this camp, and they're like, all these people have like you know nineteen escape attempts and seventeen escape attempts, and like all these. It's like they're like, we're taking all the people that are escaping, and we're putting them in one like really secure facility. Like mm-hmm. this is like the premise of like so many like different action movies, especially over recent. Like we're gonna take all the 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 really bad convicts, and we're gonna put them on a team to fight good or whatever. You know, like like Suicide Squad or like. A lot of like B movie plots, you know. Um, I mean, Escape Plan is that way, right? Anyway, yeah, it, it's it, just you know, hundred. It, it is, except it, this is good um, <laughs> compared, <laughs> compared to Escape Plan. This is yeah, uh, but it also has that John Sturgis feel to it. Like if you look at all of his other movies, like uh, um, Magnificent Seven is the other really really big name or name movie that he did, uh, or uh, Bad Day at uh, Black. Black Rock. It's he has these movies where it's a it's a group. He he loves group movies as opposed to like an individual character. So okay, yeah. sure. Um, so I have a question about how how much if, of it is based on a true story because the opening text I pulled it up says is a true story. Although the characters are composites of real men and time and place have been compressed. Every detail of the escape is the way it really happened. So, is it like a real World War II story? Oh yeah, um, it is. A, it is a real World War II story in like one of these types of camps, but it's just like in not one of this these... exact camp and not these yeah, exact POW guys. camps. I mean, it wasn't filmed on site, but yes, the, at least the premise is based off of the same thing, and and it is factual that only three of the people that of the I think seventy three people that escaped, only three of them actually escaped uh the rest of them and 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 about 50 of them um murdered on the way back which again later charged for war crimes right so um yeah so at least at least the premise there i think i think that's just their shorthand way of saying like we're going to condense all the all these working hands into a couple of like people because that really gets you more invested you know we're gonna have this person take on these two or three roles instead you know yeah yeah um that makes sense yeah or like maybe maybe the donald pleasant's character wasn't the one that became blind maybe it was somebody else and they're like well we're gonna have that happen anyway so i think from from my understanding but like one of the things that i that i saw like again on the like part of it being declassified is there was actually like a fourth tunnel dug out that wasn't portrayed in the movie mm. um so like that was, was that was name? one of the big things did you say there's a documentary tied to like the actual events so I saw a documentary on the special features of the Criterion that was... Oh, so it's a documentary on the movie, not the actual event. No, because it's, it's about the people. Um, mm. It's it's only 44 minutes long. It was apparently like released in four parts. Uh, the, the Great Escape, Heroes Underground, um, produced for the History Channel, uh, oh, I guess about the making of the film, and the historical basis for the film. But I thought there was one um, that was like specifically focusing on the people that um that the film is based off of so i'm sure there's plenty of like articles and you know, i'm i'm interested to check out that four-part documentary uh i was gonna watch it before leading up to this um but then i i was like if i want to watch it i want to pay attention to it and you know yeah not just have it on in the background noise so and it's weird like i always <laughs> i would have watched the movie first anyway because of spoilers and stuff but uh because you gotta remember you're still it's still a movie. There has to be some dramatization to it. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's again. I think the timeline condensed. I mean, it. I think in actuality, I mean, this was like a multi-year thing. Yeah. And you, you need. What am I trying to say? You. 
you would you would really uh, appreciate the uh, the exuberance of the characters that you see, like Steve McQueen, you know, and uh, Charles Bronson. Even though Charles Bronson, you said, is a very you know condensed version of what he really is. He's not trying to steal a spotlight or anything. It's very much a Steve McQueen movie, uh, and uh, seeing him go tit for tat with the Commandant, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what my favorite scene in the entire thing is the jacket scene, you know, where he keeps pointing to his jacket when he's first introduced to the camp and stuff, when he's like walking up on the fence, hmm. none of that I don't think would hit as well as it does. If I'd seen like a documentary first, like, because that, that initial feeling you get from hearing a story, because even though it's a documentary, you're still being told a story. You gotta think yeah. of it like that. Yeah, and for that reason, I think I'd always prefer to see the movie version before I saw any uh, documentary. Sure. Um, yeah, it looks like there's a whole part part of historical accuracy um, on Wikipedia. I'm not gonna try to condense it for you, yeah. but I am gonna read it later. Nice. Um, so yeah, um, I think my favorite scene in the movie is where they um, uh, where they, where they make the moonshine and then serve it on the Fourth of July. <laughs> Like it, it just like it, it. It was it was it was multi-parted because it was here are these people that did what they could and yeah you know, and and like right before they're like what are they doing what are they having all these potatoes for yeah um and it's you know and they're celebrating the Fourth of July but like it, it's it's both a a you could see like the relief in a lot of these soldiers you know because they're in a very grim environment um but also like it provides tension because while everybody is partying and getting drunk all this like the 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 guards the go and search the cabins and yeah. like it, it all of a sudden becomes a very tense moment. Like, um, I really liked that scene. Yeah. It's there's, oh. there's a little bit of Hogan's heroes in here, you know? Yeah. Which, yeah, it, 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 I like the movie because metaphorically, and this is normally Dicer's area of expertise, mm-hmm. not mine, but, uh, the metaphorical, like they escaped not. Yeah. They, they, oh, like, so many of them died, but uh, they did escape. Like this place never, you know, held them. Like uh, it never defeated them, you know. So in that sense, mm. they also, you know, they escaped what the prison wanted to make them feel like uh, hopeless and stuff. But they never gave up on that. So well, except but there is that one scene in the middle where the the cellmate, um, the guy that constantly goes to solitary with McQueen. Yeah. Well, he gives up again after that scene, after they find the tunnel, um, which again added another layer of just, I really like that portion of the movie. If I had to like call out a specific scene, but so you take it um, as an optimistic ending me. No, yeah. no, okay. no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's depressing as hell, yeah. but it's, uh, but what I'm saying is like for like the good, what would you call it? Two hours leading up to it. They, they never, it felt like they never gave up hope. Yeah. Really? And uh, while while it may not have ended, you know, as miraculously or marvelously as they would have hoped, but or as they would have liked, but they never gave up the hope. So the place never beat them. I think it's such an interesting. The ending of this movie is so interesting because, in in some ways, I do want to say it's optimistic because it's I certainly think trying to be optimistic. Like that's how it's framing the ending. I think. Well, because right, because there's that scene where again, it's like it's grim subject matter, and obviously the outcome is terrible. But there, there's that scene of is it worth it? Like, would you do that's it again? Exactly it. And 
and and and they all seem to be in like they don't really say out loud but there seems to be a like yeah um well someone says it depends on the point of view Mm. and so i think some of them like andrew's saying are trying to look at it as like we're not gonna let this place defeat us even though 90 percent of the guys who escaped got shot down right Um, yeah so they're they're holding on to hope that they're going to be one of the three that that escapes and just takes off on the train but like because the way it, it frames it, those guys getting on the train, like the the ones who are free and who do escape, that's where I'm like the movie wants you to think it's kind of a happy ending. But all I'm thinking about are the fifty guys who were shot down and um, the fact that Steve McQueen's going back in the cooler, even though he's like happy about it and his attitude is like, "Don't worry, I'll get out of here again." Like he's like, what are the yeah. chances of him actually prospering in life? Well, and I think most of the people wound up. I, I don't I don't know off the top of my head, but I think like this this is close to the end of the war. So a lot of the people eventually were freed or released or whatever. But um, certainly, but I get I get the feeling that this was. Do they say a, a year in the uh, like a, what year this took place in? I don't I don't remember hearing it, but I thought the Wikipedia thing said. 1942. So yeah, you had a couple like uh, when did war in 1942? Yeah, is that when it ended for Germany? And then we had because 45 is when it ended for Japan. No, I think I think 42 was the start for Germany for at least the U.S. involvement. Uh, 19 uh, December 7th 1941 was because that was bombing the Pearl Harbor. Yeah, yeah. So officially declared war after Pearl Harbor. So yeah, this must be like right after uh, D Day. What was D Day? Uh, uh, June 6, 1944. So, okay. So I guess this is the early, but like World War II wasn't that long of a war for the U.S. involvement. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, all right, man. Do you guys feel like you could, uh, was this, uh, your guys' first time seeing this then? Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. Do you see yourself watching it again? I do. <laughs> probably not for me because ultimately my biggest issue was it. This is probably just a me thing. And we can harken back all the way to our first episode of this. And it's that, like, in Seven Samurai, I just couldn't get invested in so much of it, like, being... It's not set up, but, like, so much of it being the process of getting to the big Mm, escape. Okay. Um, So... The planning stage. Right. So I think when I put on the movie, my thought was going to be the end of this movie is going to be a bunch of prisoners escape um, <laughs> like, and that was going to be it. And then, and then there's the whole third act, which I believe the train scene is the scene. The, the train station scene is the scene that I walked in on, like while my dad was watching it at home or something like that. And like, hmm. that's also an incredible scene. And then from there on out, I think I'd seen the rest of the movie from then. Um, so again, like the last 30, 45 minutes. Um, so I, I guess maybe it was my mindset coming into this time of thinking that the, that the film was only going to be essentially in this camp. And then it was going to end with, you know, and then they all lived happily ever after. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I, so I guess maybe that's why I, I also didn't feel it's like the movie is three hours long. It didn't feel three hours long to me. It didn't feel short, but it felt, you know, two two fifteen. Um, it also, it, it I didn't also have a might problem. be a, I didn't have a problem with it in one sitting. Fair enough. I think it also might be a product of where I've been health wise, <laughs> because for the last week and a half, I have not watched anything challenging because I've just not been <laughs> in that space. And this no. is not like this is like super challenging, but like 
to not watch anything like that for a week and a half it's an and investment. down to watch a three and a three hour movie that's like this yeah um, sure but yeah yeah um yeah no, i will I just... say my favorite scene though i didn't mention my favorite scene and one that i think is the best scene filmmaking wise in the whole movie and that's the escape like when they're all going through the tunnel yeah um because each shot of like it shows them in the tunnel then it shows the guy coming out of the hole and then it shows like one of the guards like each time it makes you think like oh this could be the guy that's gonna get caught and yeah that it was messing with me like in a good in a good way <laughs> because i was like is i like, want all these don't... guys to escape and i don't know whether they are and just like well, the, the way the way the filmmaking was show, was showing it to me it was like it had me tense and on the edge of my seat i thought that was really really well done and it sustained it for 20 25 minutes well and you're 20 feet short but we have to go right now yeah yeah and and then they uh like you know they 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 make up the system where it's like i'll go and i'll tug but then but then like, we don't really see the tugging all the time so a lot of times there's these guys that are they're sending up this briefcase and then coming out not really looking and it's like is this gonna be the guy like just because he's careless like a guard's gonna see him and that'll be it but and then uh, the moment that it happens you know that's that was really intense scene um, mm-hmm. where the guy just decides I'm going anyway. And it's like, you spoiled it for the everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but also like the, 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 the tunnel digger, like having the fear of going back in mm. the tunnel, um, you know, and even getting there and then having to turn around. And of, of course he's like, you know, one of the last people to, you know, to get out before things just really go off the deep end. Um, but yeah. That's a, that's that was a really good scene and really framed. But I guess I also kind of want to push back a little bit. You, Andrew, I think you said this is like this is Steve McQueen's movie, and like I really felt this as an ensemble piece. Like I guess maybe it's because I was expecting a Steve McQueen movie because it's labeled Steve McQueen in The Great Escape, and like mm-hmm. all the artwork is like his character. But it's like he's introduced and then immediately like put away for twenty minutes, and then brought out for five minutes, and then put away for twenty. Like it, I think this is more of a. Um, I, I, oh, uh, Donald Pleasance, I think, is maybe more, or or James Garner might be. Like mm. either of them might be. I would consider maybe more the lead. Um, maybe because I think Steve McQueen is like one of the most charismatic people that's ever lived. That sure, if yeah. he if he walked by and sneezed, I would say it's a Steve McQueen movie. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so sure, sure. Um, yeah, I just took fair. it as a really good ensemble piece. Right. And again, this movie just defied all my expectations, given I, I, this movie was not what I thought it would be um, in lots of different regards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely uh, subverts expectations if you don't know historically what happened. Oh, Robert, have you, 100%. Have you mentioned like why you're kind of just in OK or is it just kind of an out, you know, kind of a combination of you didn't like the like the score all that much? You, you found the score annoying and, you know, have you have you really like said exactly why it's. Yeah, for some reason, it was just like when you're in it for the long haul and you can't get in or well, me when I'm in it for the long haul and I can't get invested early on mm-hmm. or I was invested early on. I really like the opening scene where they're like all trying to escape in different ways, like jumping in the truck. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. This, this could be pretty fun. And then it's like right away, all the guards are like, no, we've seen this a hundred times, you know. So like after that, when it got slow that's when i was it just kind of started losing me as time went on um and there were moments here and there and like extended moments like i said the 25 minutes and like when when they were actually escaping and each getting you know the the revenge of the sith moment when it was going to each one of them being (laughs) cut down um 
that that's when I was like, oh, this is, you know, I didn't enjoy watching it, but like, this is good stuff. Um, but overall, it just didn't sustain a high enough level of engagement or excellence for me to say that I really liked it. But I didn't, there was nothing about it that I was like, this is actively bad. So it, okay. it was basic. it was really like a ambivalent <laughs> experience the whole time. But but you don't think that it was like COVID or anything else? like That definitely food. contributed it just... to it too. Got it. But yeah. Okay. Well, just I feel like if you thought it was a big enough reason why you didn't really like the movie or really not like the movie, you would be willing to get. But, but as you said, to Andrew, you're like, I don't really know that I want to watch it again. So, right. Like I said, I just hadn't sat down for this kind of investment in like a yeah. week and a half. The last movie I watched was half of Paddington 2. And then I went to sleep because I wasn't feeling well. <laughs> so and if you turn it off Paddington 2 in the middle. Exactly. You know stuff's real. So you're gonna get the yeah. evil bear stare now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know that I have much to say. I mean, I guess I I don't know that this movie is necessarily a te- technical masterpiece um or anything like that. Like there's not necessarily any like specific shots or anything like that. Like it, it's all done well, like for 1963, but none of it that I'm just like, oh, like that became a staple of that, like is the way that we do things now or whatever it's all it's all done really well i don't i don't necessarily know anything outstanding um but yeah i thoroughly enjoyed my watch yeah classic it is a goat in my book it is a goat you say it's a goat in your book i'm i'm kind of on the fence i mean i really liked the movie but I, I don't know. It, it just feels like putting this up against some of the other movies that we've put. Like it's, 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 I really liked, I, I loved the movie, but this is a whole different category than sunset Boulevard or, um, rope or yeah. seven samurai or some of the other like movies that we have. Labeled Oilers goats. for next month. Harakiri. Yeah. That I'm really looking forward to that one. Me too. That is in my top 50 movies of all time. Nice. Um, so whenever I saw that that was next month, I'm like, oh, I could have <laughs> spent I could have spent a couple hours talking about how to kitty. I, Robert, I'm gonna assume you're gonna say no on this one. I would, yeah, unfortunately, say no for me. It's, gosh, I'm I'm just torn on the fence because because again, I feel like part of me wants to say yes. I think it's a, it's a very important story. I think it's told respectfully. It, that's a big thing. It's a there's respect all over the movie for for these people. Um, Not the and, Nazis. Right. <laughs> Over the the prisoners. Um, yeah. Though the Nazis uh, are only discussed as the Germans, aren't they? Like, it doesn't even touch the whole Nazi thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, you know, this, the swastikas yeah. kind of help pinpointing who they are. Right. But it, it, like, doesn't grapple with the idea of being a Nazi or anything like that. Oh, you're talking about, like, from a war sense, like, a, you are right. evil. It's more of along the lines of, like, you are a barrier. Right. As a yeah. Pistol. Well, I that was the thing. I, now I get what you're saying. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, that was the other thing too. Like this movie's not as brutal as I thought. It was. Again, it's got some brutal moments, but like I've seen plenty, like a, a good chunk of prisoner of war movies uh, from various you know, wars, not just World War II. All that. It's, it's all like, about savagery and brutality. It's all about yeah. savagery, savagery, brutality, and you, you you get out of line once, and then they just they they beat you and then stick you in a cell for a while. Not not in this movie, and I guess like that was refreshing to see. Like yeah. There was no, yeah, uh, yeah, like, like Gettysburg has some moments like that, yeah, mm-hmm. or yeah, the one I was thinking, um, I was thinking of Twelve Years a Slave, but um, that's yeah. not a prisoner. I mean, it's a, in a it's, different way a prisoner yeah. of war movie. It's but, not a POW. It's just a prisoner right, movie, right? So like, there is no like, there is not a lot of brutality here. I, 
I'm kind of on the fence, but I'll go ahead and say yes, just because I think there's there's some really good stuff, and especially that last act. I, I agree with Robert that maybe it's a little slow in the middle, but yeah. um, ultimately, I, I still really liked my way all the way through. And So, um, so put it like this. Forget the... Uh, the the heritage likeness of this like the uh the the grandiose uh critical acclaim that this movie has already don't let that peer pressure you at all would you consider this like one of your greatest movies of all time it's i'm not going to put it on my list but the way that we've tried to describe is this movie a go is if we are exclusively in charge of making the criterion collection would you add this to the criteria collection and I, I think because this is based off of a true story i think there's enough respect with the characters and it's important enough story that i'm gonna say yes but if we take away the 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 true elements to this story if we take away the fact that it's based off a true story i think that would be the thing that would take me out of it mm. um i would still really like the movie but i'd be like i don't know that this is you know a goat or whatever. So that's, that's kind of the way we've tried to phrase that question. So I think as it stands now, yes. But again, if this was just a fictionalized piece, I don't think I would. Yeah. I feel good with that answer. There you go. Where do you have it out of 41? Did you um, put it on, anywhere, a, on it yet? I got to look it up real quick. Um, I did I'll say real quick out of 41. I have, have it at 35. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I had it at 12. It's nice um, and high. Yeah, I mean, it's still below The Apartment and The Kid and Seven Samurai, but, like, you know, I put it above... Um, Where's this list at? These, these are our letterbox lists of the movies that we've uh, I'll put a, gone I'll through. put a link in the chat real quick. Yeah. Um, there it is. But, like, I have this Thank above you. On the Waterfront and The Graduate. And, yeah, I feel, I feel it's somewhere around 12 to 15, because, like, 13, 14, 15 for me are Network Sunset Boulevard and Last Temptation, and, like... I feel an inclined to move this maybe down between Sunset Boulevard and Last Temptation, but I still, again, I still really liked. Um, it would still be in the top fifteen for sure for me. Yeah, it's actually me, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to move it down to between Sunset Boulevard and Last Temptation. For me, it's just between Rebel Without a Cause and uh, underneath Rebel Without a Cause and above Untouchables. So, so not every movie that you talk about is on this list. Like look, you said next month is going to be Harakiri, but I don't see it on this list. This is everything we've talked about so far. Right. Gotcha. I didn't Over know because what, isn't 41 like Dicer's favorite number. So I didn't know if like it was oh. 41 for that reason. <laughs> no, no it just be. so happens now. Yeah. No, these are just all the movies we've talked about. We started off doing uh, two movies a month. And then after a year, we were just like, this is too much time. So we started doing one, a, one a, uh, a month. And so, yeah, I guess this is our 41st movie. Yeah. Well, I think I know uh, which one I would put at number one. Yeah, I think I know too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely know which one. Yeah. Oh, man, that's 33 on my list, bud. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, we had a really fun conversation whenever we were talking about The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and how, you know, I'm not going to say that this was a contributing factor, but did you feel any pressure at all whenever we were talking about that movie like oh, i don't want to have any conflict saying that i didn't think it was the greatest movie we have that conversation or we have that struggle every week i think i mean uh every mm. month because a couple months ago we did come and see which is the highest rated movie on letterboxd like there there is a little bit of hesitancy i'm sure robert you know there was a little hesitancy hesitancy in his voice when he said he didn't like um or he thought the great escape was just okay like because yeah. we're putting out 
movie opinions on the internet, like about usually like beloved movies. Right. That's the and, thing. You don't want someone on Twitter to be like, listen to these fools talk about one of the greatest movies ever. And they're idiots, you know? Right. And it's fine. It's our opinion. We're not film school students. We're not, you know, we're not in the business or anything like that, but like, it's just about how much we enjoyed a movie and that, that varies. And especially like so, you can look at some movies for technical achievement and we can be like, yeah, but it didn't entertain me. So, you know, or like, yeah, the, like like Rebel Without a Cause. We were like, yeah, this performance great, but this the movie itself kind of sucks. Like, um, so yeah. Um, so I, I think every week there's some hesitancy from us, but I, at least I try to give my most honest opinion, and I think Robert does too. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been dishonest, or else I wouldn't have the thing at number forty one out of forty one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a real hot take. Uh, yeah, I love the thing. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna reorder this list on my letterbox. Yeah, go for there it. There you go. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, you shouldn't listen yeah, so to I, what Aaron has to say about good, the bad, and the ugly because it felt like most of it was negative, and I really like it. Yeah, well, again, it landed at like 33 for me. But yeah. Um, yeah anyway, um, <clears throat> I guess I guess probably Andrew will have a list of his rankings of our films <laughs> coming up soon. Yeah, there's just a couple um, on there that I haven't seen that have been on my uh, list of shame for a long time where there's an excuse that's exactly Uh, there's one more excuse for me to go and check it out (laughs) for sure so yeah um let's see we did the is it go we did where it ranks in our list we did the will you watch it again um let's why not let one last thing it feels like we just kind of been all one last thing uh about the great escape and no post credit scene (laughs) (laughs) it's habit habit. there are no credits at the end uh or the whole movie is a post credit scene (laughs) It's true, yeah. What do you think about yeah, it? That, there's my last thought. I don't have anything else. <laughs> no, I just uh, don't let a three-hour runtime scare you. Um, would be my thing. Like again, this doesn't yeah. feel it, and uh, it's not quite three hours. It's like two fifty-two, and you know, by mm-hmm. the time you skip through the opening credits, you're really looking at like you know about the runtime of Avengers Endgame, if not a little shorter. So, um, does it no, throw you off hours. when you guys go back to these older movies where they have the credits up front? It does. I've just learned. I, I usually fast forward through them. I didn't on this one because uh, I was still settling in as I started the movie. But um, yeah, it does throw me off. It doesn't for me. I feel like I watch enough old movies outside of this podcast that I'm just like, oh, all right. Yeah. And it, to me, it's, it's just an immediately like, all right, it's fine for me to not pay attention for a couple couple yeah. of minutes. It's just um, because seeing two new movies in theaters every single week, like I don't get to see these older movies as often as mm-hmm. I'd like to. So like every single time, like I put in something like a, uh, I don't know why I'm just double indemnity. I'm just picking an old movie out of my head mm-hmm. and you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, they used to do this. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know that I've seen an example where it's relevant. What's happening in the opening credits. Because like, usually it's just like shots of a city sidewalk or yeah. a skyline or something like that, like B-roll footage. Yeah, well, this one was good. They're going up to the camp and unloading the prisoners. But yeah, so you're awake. <laughs> just do a whole Skyrim entrance in this one. <laughs> so uh, on next month, as uh, Andrew alluded to, we'll be talking about Harakiri with uh, Foster will be joining us. Um, so we'll be talking about That's that. So good and. Uh, That'd be a lot of fun. You know Andrew's thoughts already. He's going to be mad if we don't like it. Yeah. So, Robert, did you say uh, you uh, just recently for the first time saw Seven Samurai? And you, you weren't really a fan of it? Uh, I watched it for the first time for this podcast. So what was that, Aaron, two years ago? 
Yeah, that was our very first Goats episode. So yeah. Mm. Oh and wow. I, and I wasn't really a fan of it. Have you seen Thirteen Assassins? I have not. That is possibly it's it's similar enough to where it's easy to make that comparison. Uh but it's it's different enough to where you said you you weren't really a fan of like it was like two hours of planning and then you know like 30 minutes of action you i think you would appreciate 13 assassins more i will warn you i don't know if this uh, bothers you or not it is one of the most brutally violent movies i've ever seen in my life but it's all play for authenticity as opposed to you know mm. gore for gore's sake hmm. for a 2010 movie yeah okay yeah uh maybe i'll check it out then yeah because um, i just recently rewatched it the other week so that was just fresh in my mind nice Thanks. I've uh, seen the Mandi- Magnificent Seven. Um, the Which one? one? I haven't seen the Steger one. I've only seen the Fuqua one. Mm. But but or Sturges. Sorry, not Steger. Sturges. Um, but yeah. Um, well, let's move on then, because this might take very little time. This might take a long time. Uh, we got to talk about our top five movie scores. Uh, again, Foster, who will be joining us next month, uh, recommended this. We'll do this best ever challenge style, so we should have our top five and some honorable mentions. I have two honorable mentions. I really like put low and en- low thought into this because this was just one of those. I thought if I get too nitpicky about it or if I get too, um, yeah, there's a lot too, of good if, if I get too in my head about this, I will have 40 honorable mentions and <laughs> I will be swapping them around constantly. So I was just like, you know what? What are the ones off the top of my head I can think of? And then I'll scroll through my favorites of all time and just see which of the scores really stand out to me. I tried to judge score being something that I would listen to by itself and something that fits the movie really well. Um, so that's, that's kind of the main factors I looked into. Um, you know, this isn't necessarily most iconic or the best ones you could hum along to or anything like that, but just that would be the way I approached it. And I also just approached all the franchises kind of as one, like it's big because a lot of times like, we'll definitely talk about Harry Potter at some point. So like, Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, so, like a, a theme so that I just extends said, over several movies. Yeah. I just said like the Harry Potter score because yeah. like, or star Wars. I don't want to throw out everybody. Star Wars so. would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Would be a good example. Um, although, I mean, again, there's pretty distinct between like the prequel and original trilogy in terms mm-hmm. of some of the other stuff, but again, yeah. like main theme, very similar style. I just, to me, that's how I did it. Yeah. Um, so we'll go number five to number one. Andrew, why don't you kick us off? Uh, it might surprise people that I have it this uh, low, but I'm going to go with the good, the bad, and the ugly score. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I didn't the think right. about that, but it should be there. Yeah, <laughs> it wow, should wow. be. <laughs> I'll say honorable mention, even though I didn't list it, but that's certainly worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's funny because the only reason that the... Oh, yeah. Like why that is the thing is because that is the first sound you hear when the movie actually starts. You hear a coyote screaming in the background. And that just became the uh, Inyo Medicone's uh, like inspiration for the entire theme of that movie and how it builds up with the trumpet. And it just gets so, you know, you know, just in like adrenaline inducing it's not my favorite song in the movie that's the ecstasy of gold one that i think everybody knows now because i think metallica even starts their concerts with it now but uh but yeah for my number five i'm gonna go with uh, the good the bad and the ugly it's a good pick um yeah arguably the most iconic um sure no i uh there's 
I think that there's some that would definitely get the give that a run for its money. Uh, Robert, why don't you go next and I'll round us out. There are so many great film scores, so this is not definitive. And uh, again, this is a favorite, not best list. Um, so that being said, my number five, as it stands right now, and I just changed it while you guys were talking, is actually Man of Steel. Which Oh, yeah. That is cool. uh, I, I'm not a Zack Snyder apologist or anything, but I really love that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And a big part of that is because of the score. Um Particularly Superman's first flight is, I think, my favorite superhero scene of the last 10, 15 years. So, yeah, it's it, just incredible. Yeah, that's a really incredible score. It's easily the best thing about that movie for me. But mm-hmm. like that oil rig score is A+. plus. Yeah, yeah, and I like the stipulations you put that like this is in no way definitive. This is just us. Again, since I put no thought in it, like off the top of my head. Um, I put Jurassic Park here. At number five. Yeah. Are we doing Trump rules? Yeah, yeah, I'll trap that. That's fine. <laughs> I figured it was coming. Uh, well, so then, what do you have it for, Andrew? Uh, number four, I have Indiana Jones. That was an honorable mention for me. Yeah, I mean that John. You're, you, this isn't going to be the last time you hear John Williams brought up on this on this list here because the guy he knows what he's doing. But yeah, that's just one of those. I can't really think of too many. Uh, uh, songs on this list that when you hear it you know things are gonna be okay Mm. it's it's a weird feeling but like like a it doesn't matter like what horrible thing is happening on screen as soon as you hear you're like okay things are gonna work out everything's gonna be all right and i'm gonna get to enjoy it so yeah it's i'm definitely gonna have to go with the indiana jones score for my number three very nice. Number three or uh, number four? Four. I mean, yeah, four, sorry. Okay. All right, Robert. My number four is The Grey. Um, I hmm. love oh, the this score movie. at the very end. Especially the very end, yes. Yeah. Um, I almost can't hear that, like those first couple notes of the piano at the end without Don't like... Don't be afraid. Yeah, without tearing up or without feeling chills. Um, the whole score is great, but I, it has to be this high just for that last track alone. One of my favorite movies. Sure. Uh, Number four here, I have Back to the Future. That's a good one. Very good one. Very good. Uh, Very similar to like iconic. um, But I just thought like there's so many moving pieces to the score. It it totally fits exactly what everything is going for. Um, You can hum along and hum for five minutes straight. Um, It's it's just perfect. Um, So, yep, that's what I have. You know what this is doing is making me forget the Great Escape score. So... (laughs) Now I have all these other scores coming in my mind. Well, that's what this is all for. It's your own personal, <laughs> like, therapeutic, uh, or not therapeutic, but uh, hypnotic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so that means that we're on Andrew's number three? This is where I have Jurassic Park. Nice. Yeah, uh, like I said, it's not the last time. It's still not the last time we're going to talk about John Williams. Uh, but, yeah, uh, this... I'll tell you when this this score hit me the hardest, and it's not where you think it's going to happen. It's actually in Jurassic World, and mm. it's whenever they're first going through the park mm-hmm. at the very beginning, and he opens the doors on that balcony, and you see the park, and you're like, Hammond, they did it. They did it, Hammond. They, your dream has finally come true. And that's interesting because, uh, I don't know if you guys have read the books or not, but uh, mm. Hammond is a 
horrible, horrible, horrible person. He's and, a villain, uh, right? he, he dies in the first book. But, uh, but the, the film version of Hammond, I never thought of him as a villain, even though like it's, it all, everything went wrong because of Nedry, but you know, it was Hammond's responsibility. His intentions were always pure. So even though you know bad things are going to happen in the movie and that the park is going to fail because it has to for a Jurassic Park movie, for that like for that split second, I was like, oh, Hammond, they did it. And it was all because the that score building up, you know. And you're just like, oh, good job, everybody. Thank you, Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Robert, what you got? Uh, number three is Interstellar for me. Yeah, I'll trump that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm actually kind see, of here, here, Here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm actually like overthinking my list now. So I've just made a couple changes. And I, I recently inserted something. And then that made me like move around. And so like I, I'm actually adjusting on the fly. Um, and as much as it pains me to say like I removed a film like I removed a film that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point that is just like, it's hard. It can't argue. Anyway, I'm to doing that overthinking thing. Um, yeah. Um, I have, this is a film I find myself defending a lot recently. Um, but ultimately I think the score is absolutely the best part of it. I love the shape of water score. Oh, that's uh, a great score. It is beautiful. Yeah. It's yeah. Alexander Desplat. And I think it's, it's just gorgeous. Um, it's one I find myself frequently just listening to. Um, and again, I think it fits kind of the, the, the mystery, um, there's like some nice xylophone, um, like harmony that's going on. Uh, it's just, it's, 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 it's just great. (laughs) So the, the movie, look, I, I really like the movie, but the score is a goat. (laughs) I find myself defending it because everybody's like, it shouldn't have won best picture that year. I'm like, I'm not mad that it did. It's probably shouldn't have, but I'm not mad that it did. That's a different conversation. Right. But that's an entirely different conversation. But yeah, no, I think the score is incredible for that one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think that takes us to Andrew's number two. Uh, might get Trump Star Wars. No, okay. No. <laughs> uh, I, again, again, like really high honorable mention. You can't have everything in a top five list, you yeah. know? Yeah, I totally get it. Uh, yeah, it, what more can this is the last time we're going to talk about uh, John Williams? By the way, I don't know about you guys, but uh, uh, yeah, is it Star Wars in general? Yeah. Not like the, uh, although, you know, you could put the Imperial March on this list and I wouldn't get mad at you. But no, just the main, the main themes. Mm-hmm. And this is for the original uh, trilogy. So as okay. much as I do like the themes, uh, like Duel of Fates and Phantom Menace is like one of the greatest scored like yeah. sequences of events ever. It is the greatest lightsaber fight and it's like, a lot of it has to do with that song, but just for what a song can do to you for like nostalgia's sake, I got to go with the original star Wars theme. Sure. As soon as the credits start, bang, and we do with the scroll. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I, again, this is me overthinking it. I'm like, is it really like it back to the future? Really great. And I'm sticking with what I've no, already it's said. your list, brother. You, you do what you do. Yeah. I think Robert and I would both tend to lean prequels are the best scored films of the franchise. Uh, oh, we can talk there's about that when I mentioned my uh, honorable okay. mentions. Yeah, there's a okay. lot of a uh, French horn in in the Star Wars, and I really appreciate that. It's a beautiful sounding instrument. Yeah, yeah. All my high, high, all my honorable mentions are very highly regarded to me. Uh, this is where I have. Oh no, 
My turn. Robert. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for for the uh, your number two. Yeah, the franchise movies. I have actually decided to just go with one out of the franchise because I decided to make it harder on myself. So okay. I went with Fellowship of the Ring out of the three Lord of the Rings. Um, Good. That was my first honorable mention. Yeah, with the with the Shire theme, uh, and this is the only one that has the full Fellowship theme when they're walking past the rock, and it has and it does that shot of all nine in the pony. Um, it has like the full Fellowship theme coming for the only time in the entire trilogy, and then like the final thing, the breaking of the Fellowship theme is just incredible. Um, one one of my favorite pieces of music written for film ever. Yeah, the the score was the biggest thing that stood out to me watching the fellowship again recently. I was just like, I don't remember this score being so good. Like, I remember it being good, but like, this is incredible. And I actually when I initially scribbled on my list, I had it at number two. But I was Mm. just like, you know what? I don't want to commit to this right now, because, again, having not seen Two Towers and Return of the King for the longest time, I'm going to just going to just back off. And I overthought it. Um, But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Instead, I overthought and I put Interstellar here at number two. Okay, um, nice. Um, yeah, this is my favorite Hans Zimmer score. It perfectly fits the movie. It's wildly complex. Um, and again, is just something I'll happily listen to just by itself. It's weird. I have three uh, John Williams scores like on my list, but my favorite like a uh, like a uh, actual composer is Hans Zimmer. So mm-hmm. I don't know how that works out mathematically, <laughs> but uh, it's true. I it's, think I've got a favorite composer that I don't have listed here at all, except in honorable mentions, but we'll get there. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's the one, you know, since um, in like the modern Hans Zimmer, like post uh, Thelma and Louise post um, true romance. It's like the one Hans Zimmer score where it's like, you can't put it on and immediately know it's Hans Zimmer because it's just like, yes. sounds different. And yes, it doesn't have like the heavy percussion and like that epic movie. It's epic, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the epic movie sound that a lot of his other stuff has. Um, sure. And yeah, it's and highly emotional for me. Like the the scene where Cooper's driving away from his house and he checks under the the seat, uh, yep. hoping Murph is there and she's not, and the score's swelling at the same time. It's like, oh, come on. Why are you making me cry? <laughs> and like, it, it is to me my favorite he's done, but like probably not technically his best like i think there's something about the technical achievement that he did with dunkirk but um anyway i just did have you seen the uh it's like a little 10 minute like mini documentary on the on the composition work they did for the interstellar theme maybe because i don't know but like just the fact that he also like brought it like did like church organs for the, that's like, he, that's what it is like, like there's a church okay, okay. In, so then i have seen it yeah there's a church in germany that has like one of the biggest or it may be I don't remember where it's it's somewhere in Europe has like the biggest cathedral organ set in the world. And they actually brought in all the recording stuff. And there's apparently only one guy who's able to play this organ. So yeah, for for me, when it comes to the score for interstellar, it has to be the, uh, the docking scene on the. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's when I think it gets its fullest, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think so. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, powerful and the fact that uh he had no idea what the movie was going to be about you know right. because oh, didn't all... nolan just tell him it's a father and daughter story it was something? a father son movie that's oh, what okay. he told him <laughs> he said this is a movie about a father and a son he didn't tell him it was about space he didn't tell him it was about time he didn't tell him anything he's like i need you to write me a score all i'm going to tell you is it's about a father and a son and it wasn't even about a father and a son <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah 
Yeah. I just love that score so much, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at, uh, that just leads us to our number ones then, right? Yep. And I believe all the Trumps have been cl- reclaimed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Andrew, kick us off. Ba-da-ba, ba-da-ba. <laughs> Gotta go with Rocky, man. Rocky uh, You talk about... <laughs> Rocky it's the most get-off-your-butt theme song theme song there has ever been and for knowing what the movie's about and it's not about boxing it's about you know not wanting to be another bum from the neighborhood as rocky so eloquently and tear-jerkingly put it uh that's then you hear the the it's the montage song now yeah and it's been so over you know uh satiricalized that uh, hopefully people don't forget like how powerful it is actually. So yeah, I, there's, there's a couple out there that are just iconic. And I think the most iconic of the iconic is the Rocky going to fly now. That's a good pick. Really good pick. Uh, Robert. Um, I mentioned to you, Aaron, before we started recording that it's so difficult to make this list because I never think about my favorite scores. I just think like, Hey, this movie has great music. Um, but for the longest time, I've maintained that this is my favorite score, and that's Pirates of the Caribbean uh, at World's End, third one. Um, I, yeah, yeah, that does have the best music out of any of the pirate movies, doesn't it? Yeah, because it it has like those initial swashbuckling themes from the first one, and then it brings in like the Davy Jones and the Kraken theme, and it's just like it has every piece of music in there is is a goat in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, like what you were just saying about Rocky, it just makes me want to get up and run around with a sword. You know, like I, <laughs> I just love, love the themes of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie so much. Yeah. I, again, super, super, super high honorable mention for me. Uh, it's definitely this, this stuff by Zimmer that gets me going the most mm-hmm. um, for sure. Love, yeah. love the score. Aaron, close us out. Yeah. Um, this will be cinema paradiso for me. Oh. Um, it's, it's just uh, to me. It's Ennio Morricone's finest work. Um, it, Careful! It, it, per- <laughs> it, it perfectly. You haven't seen this one, have you, Andrew? Uh, no, I haven't. Mm. Oh wait, no, uh-huh. I have seen this one. This is the one with the. Uh, this is the uh, yeah. This is the Giuseppe movie. Yep. Yep. I think I saw um, it once. Okay, I'll say this. I saw it, uh, once when I was younger, and I don't remember a thing about it. So yeah. technically, I have seen it, but I haven't seen it. Got it. Yeah, definitely worth a visit. I I think this the score just has a way of seeping itself into my soul um, because I can't separate the music from the movie. Um, I think it's one of the movies that like is intentionally that way. And I think it's one of those when I think about the music, I think about um, the the movie and again, vice versa. It's like they are inseparable from each other and they are both like everything. They both just fill my heart and overflow it uh, every time I, I think about um, again, either screenshots from the film or um, uh, or story arcs or certain scenes or certain movements or whatever, whatever is going on. It just that film score and film just impact me so much. Uh, and again, just them being so inseparable. I have to I have to give it to Cinema Paradiso. So um, nice. can't hate, can hate you for even though I can't remember the movie, the, the theme obviously is iconic. So that's true. Well, you get around to it again and you let me know, because again, it's just it's a movie made for movie lovers. Um, yeah. So, 
Uh, I guess that just leaves us with honorable mentions. I have uh, I have three because I again just shuffling things around or thinking of things. Yeah. Um, so we like, really surprised none of us had Harry Potter here. I think that's easily worth an honorable mention. I don't like Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> I've made my stance on the series, but the score is oh, yeah, undeniably <laughs> the score is undeniably goaded yeah and and prisoner of azkaban is great take that nick oh yeah um, <laughs> that's right nick anyway uh but yeah the score is undeniably goaded um for sure uh I, somebody else give an honorable mention i just have seven i'll, I'll run through them real quick i'll just okay. not say anything about them moneyball the green knight magnolia swiss army man paddington 2 empire strikes back how to train your dragon 3 and the interchangeable scores of gladiator and the rock man how to train your dragon 3 good pull Yep. Um, when you say right, uh, so, Gladiator, which song? Is it the Now We're Free song at the very end? No, it, I don't know what, right which answer. one it is. But there's there's a, there's a track in Gladiator that sounds exactly like The Rock, which also sounds exactly like Pirates of the Caribbean, which sounds exactly like Gladiator. It's called The Battle. Okay, yeah. Because, yes, it's the it sounds exactly like Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, at least part, part of it. Yeah. Um, which is also why I didn't have Gladiator on there. Um, yeah, that's why it's an honorable mention. <laughs> another Zimmer one I have is Inception. Um, and there's also like the the main big swelling part of the score. The main big moment is just Zimmer copying himself from the Thin Red Line mm-hmm. um, from the from the track Journey to the Line, which is maybe my favorite top five like single pieces of music composed for film. Um, but yeah, I picked Inception as well, uh, which also that reasoning is largely the reason why I don't know that Zimmer's my favorite is because he copies and pastes a lot. It does great work um, and he does a ton of projects, but sometimes it's just like you already use that or this sounds just like that or like, yeah, uh, uh, I got one more that I want to okay. save to the end. OK, well, I got five that I'll just all right. Just like Robert, I'll just throw them out real quick. Jaws. Yep. Gladiator. Uh, but it's the the now we're free song. Braveheart. Mm-hmm. T2 Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. That's another good one. And I would have put this on my top five list because I think it's the greatest scored movie ever as opposed to like, you know, the greatest scored song for a movie. But it's it's also a, uh, not a remix, but it's a it's a new rendition. And that's Tron Legacy. What, what Daft Punk did with the Tron mm. soundtrack and made it their own is... Crim de la crim. Good. Nice. List of shame nice. for me. But um, yeah. Uh, okay. What was the, your final so one there, Aaron? It's it's just because it's a little outlandish, but I think this is by my favorite working composer. Um, and it's the Pacific Rim soundtrack. It just gets me going. And honestly, there's some really touching, beautiful music in it. It's scored by Ramin Jawadi, who I think is doing incredible work in Westworld. Um, and of course, he's done the Game of oh. Thrones stuff. The Westworld um, theme is so good. But but like specifically, like Westworld is like the best scored TV I've ever seen. Um and yeah, he hasn't done a ton of movies, uh, but um I think I think just he is my favorite working composer because everything's so different. But like Pacific Rim also um had Tom Morello from uh Rage Against the Machine working on the score with him. So that's also like or at least doing the guitar part. But that that score just gets me going every single time. Uh it's incredible. 89 Batman, that's a good one. 89 oh, Batman yeah. can sure for sure be listed. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we could probably keep on listing tons of yeah. things. But again, you know, I just 
I feel like we would just be like, oh, but how did I not have that listed in my top five? You know, anyway. Um, Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. Because I don't count My Heart Will Go On as a score. It's more of like a right. sound soundtrack or a song. But uh, yeah, yeah. Pl- plenty of good stuff we could keep on listing. But I think for the sake of talking, not talking ourselves into a circle, we should probably just move on. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to the spinoff. Uh, what's the one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? Robert, you, you start us off. Um, I know you have your TV catch up once a month, but I'm I need to talk about the rehearsal real quick because it's talk about which the rehearsal on HBO. Rehearsal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, easily the best TV I've seen all year. And I doubt that anything will be better than it. Um, I already love Nathan Fielder from Nathan for you, but this topped it in every way and any way that I ever could have imagined. It's my favorite show of the year. Uh, it is special. It is. I I'm just being very vague and using all like the typical adjectives mm-hmm. about it because it's so unique in the way that it's presented that you just have to watch it. Like watch the first episode and then just keep going and you'll be mind blown. Okay. So I posed this question last week, just but the episode didn't launch until recently. Okay. Um, I've still only seen the pilot mm-hmm. or the first episode. It, 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 can I just expect more of the same or does the no. show evolve? Okay. That's, that was my fear. Like my fear, but also like, I think it's, it's great. I just, were you worried that it would be the same? I don't. I'm not. I would. I would love the show if it was more of the same, or I would love the show if it evolved more. But I just don't know that I'm ready for more. <laughs> like, it's, if that makes sense. Like, on an emotional and intellectual capacity, take what you got from the first episode and just like put it in a little compartment and like use it as um as a reference point as a reference point. But it's you're gonna get something that completely different. Okay. The rest of the way. You, okay. You, you got to keep going. I know I, w- I will. I just, yeah. It's also just like, it's heavier TV and I don't watch heavier TV later at night. It is. And it isn't at the same time. It's, yeah. At least, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, for more thoughts on the rehearsal, Robert wrote the simple. Yeah. I wrote article, the review. So, so. Uh, here we go. Andrew, what you got? So I'm going to do a stay away from <laughs> kind of spice it up a little bit. Stay away from day shift. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is that the Jamie Foxx one? Yes. It is one of the biggest garbage fires I've seen all year. It's in like my top three worst movies of the year. It's horrible. The action it's, it's uh, directed by JJ Perry. Who's been the stunt coordinator for like the Deadpool movies and the John wicks movies and stuff like that. So, oh, I'm going to get to see some cool action in this. No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. Cause he may know how to cord- uh, choreograph it, but he can't shoot it. This is a terribly, terribly, like this takes shaky cam and like quick cuts to a level I am shocked a movie can get to. Uh, the acting is horrible. The story is garbage. The world building is ridiculous. It's it's so bad. Mm. That's a shame because this feels like, at least from what I know of the film, one that you should enjoy. Yeah, um, it, it looked like it was going to be a fun, dumb action movie, but it's just a dumb, dumb, dumb movie. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, like like Project Power or what was that one on Hulu that was like essentially like video game levels? Um, um, do Frank Grillo in that one? You know, no, I like like that respawning. Yeah, yeah. What was that called? That was because uh, because I remember you liking that one, so it was like it feels like again like kind of like those two movies, like where it should have just been right up your alley. Yeah, I think that was a stowaway, wasn't it? No, 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 no. no. Stowaway was the space one where 
they smuggle a dead guy on board accidentally um, accidentally i'll find yeah. it here in a second okay. so it sounds well, like, like this director that. tried boss to level. be oh, boss level. there you go so this director tried to be like chad stahelski or david leach and it just didn't work at all yeah okay and and they have like a snoop dog and uh dave franco you know trying to do some fun cameos and it's no i'm just I hate the movie so much I can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'll relieve you of your duty. Mine's going to be very simple. Um, as mentioned at least once here recently, um, I watched The Fellowship of the Ring um, extended edition with my wife. And I, I just think I watched it on the new 4K transfer. And if you own a 4K player and you do not own this, you are making a mistake. Okay. okay. Um, like it is remarkably looking and by the way i enjoyed the movie robert was about to go through the screen to smack you (laughs) enjoyed the movie significantly more than i have in the past i think part of that has come to age and part of that is i for the first time i watched the extended edition so like oh you never seen the extended i never seen the extended nope um and again this 4k transfer looks gorgeous uh if you own a 4k player um this is this should be your first buy um nice. a 4k compatible player in tv this should be your first buy um and if you do not own them but you're very big fans of the franchise you should make it a priority to get yourself a 4k player in tv now because it legitimately looks like the film could have been made today um it's it's great um so my 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 specific recommend is the 4k editions of the lord of the rings just because obviously the lord of the rings is good you don't need another white person telling you so um but Yes, the 4K editions are remarkable. The only thing that sucks is the extended edition editions are split to two discs. So it literally Still. gets to the end of the council where yeah. um, where where uh, uh, Elrond like pronounces them. So um, where are we going? The fellowship. Literally, I know. So where <laughs> are we going? Cut to black. Please insert disc two. Um, the theatricals are on one disc, but each each, but. Yeah, they're still split into two discs. So I still don't have That's the 4K the of Lord of the Rings because I had just bought the Blu-ray right when the 4K <laughs> was announced, yeah. and I was like, I can't justify but, spending that money yet. But do you ha- you don't have a 4K player, do you? I do. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. I knew you had an Xbox, but not a like 4K compatible Xbox. No, I, I got a 4K player. I put it on a my wedding registry a few years ago. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I picked it up on sale one time for like 90 bucks. I mean, I'm sure this Black Friday you can maybe grab it for like 60 or so. Either way, like, it's remarkable. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, so, quick reminder. So, remember, you can follow uh, Robert on uh, Twitter, or, uh, underscore Rob's Thoughts, or Letterboxd Rob's Thoughts. Remember to go, go check out Andrew on Sif Pop Weekly. And if you want to check out his Letterbox, go to Flick, like, search Flick, Flick, Flick Freaks. Um, yeah, it's maybe he'll be more active in that. Maybe not. Um, probably not. It, probably not. <laughs> but uh, I'm not a social him. media guy. So which is if you, funny. If you follow him, then maybe he'll start using it more. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, if you follow him, it might make him want to use it less. Uh, <laughs> uh, but either way, go to Sip Pop Weekly to check out with that. That's every weekend. Uh, live streams on YouTube or podcast feed later. Um, uh, so you can uh, also follow me on Twitter or letterbox.schweitcastle and uh, quick around to Sif Pop Brothers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows such as Sif Pop Weekly 
uh, by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player or by going to studiodna.media. And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com or you want to get in contact with the show, send us some feedback or maybe a question to explore during the B-plot, uh, email us at writersroom@sifpop.com. And please don't forget just to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening over there. Next week, as mentioned, it's the fifth Wednesday of the month, so we'll be talking about the Mad Max franchise, the first, the first four movies. I'll have Shane and May joining me. <laughs> And then um, I was going to say, if you don't have Shane. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Shane and May joining me. And then uh, next month, as mentioned, Harakiri with Foster. But uh, thanks, guys, for coming out. Um, Really appreciate your time dedicating to to both the three-hour film and a two-hour podcast. (laughs) Always have a blast. Yeah, me too. Got to get back to the writer's room now, though. (laughs)